Would you turn with me this morning, please, to the book of James? James chapter 5 and verse 13. 513. Is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. So if you're going through trials and tests, what do you do? Pray. Let him pray. And he talked about the prayer of faith, raising up the sick. Verse 16, he said, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Pray. In that latter part of the 16th verse, he said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Does effective prayer change things in the earth? We see Elijah, the Bible said he was a man like us, feelings and temptations and all this like us but he prayed earnestly and it changed the cycles of the atmosphere and he prayed again and it changed again the bible said in the amplified the earnest heartfelt continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available dynamic in its working so we believe in the effectiveness Of proper prayer. And we've been talking about that for some weeks. Now we talked about what prayer is. We said prayer is communion with God. Communion. Not just talking to God. But communion. Fellowship with God. How many understand in prayer there ought to be a lot of listening. You're talking to somebody who knows everything about everything. Who has all the answers. You shouldn't do all the talking. Right? We should do a lot of listening. Prayer is communion with God. And we talked about how we pray. And and we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And we talked about how you don't pray. You don't pray vain repetitions. and, And we went through a number of things that way. But we've been studying for the past several weeks on the life of Jesus, his prayer life. Believing that he is the most excellent example of a prayer ever. And so we, uh, we've seen that he's taught us how to pray. Number one, he taught us to pray in love. And if we've got any problems to forgive folk and get it straightened out before you pray. And Bible said, you know, if you don't forgive others, the Father won't forgive you. And does that affect your prayer life? Yes, Hugely. Uh, he taught us to pray in faith also. He taught us that we must ask. And then we we also talked about that there are times that you are to pray, and there are other times that you are to say, decreeing things, exercising your authority. And then also, in addition to that, we talked about the persistent prayer, that there are times when you've got to stay with it. And then we talked about why pray at all. And then last week, I believe it was, we talked about the prayer of submission. Today, I'd like for you to turn to Mark, the ninth chapter, and let's continue seeing how Jesus prayed and how he taught us to pray. Mark, chapter 9. 
In the ninth chapter, you see the situation where the man brought his son who had seizures to get Jesus to help him. And Jesus, in the beginning, wasn't there. So he brought him to Jesus' disciples. And they tried to get the boy delivered and were unsuccessful. Now, to understand this more fully, you'd have to back up and realize that uh, they had been given authority by Jesus himself. He sent them out. He said, I give you authority and power over all unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. Didn't he tell them that? And they had been doing that. They had been getting marvelous results. The disciples I'm talking about now. He sent them out. And they came back rejoicing, don't you remember? And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. In your name, people had been getting delivered. But now here, this man brings his son to Jesus. And he wasn't there in the beginning. And so the disciples tried to minister, didn't get delivered. So Jesus comes down off the mount. And you remember that uh, the man came and said, Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And he rebuked the spirit that was oppressing that boy. And he was delivered and he was healed. Remember that? But now you got to remember, this is after the disciples failed to get the boy set free. How many understand that just because... uh ministers fail or Christians fail doesn't mean there's no deliverance. See, this is where people really mess up. This is how doctrines get started. Maybe well-known, well-respected preachers, highly thought of Christians that people think are very spiritual, they pray for somebody and they don't get healed or they try to stand and believe for somebody and they don't get delivered and they say, well, it just must not have been God's will. These men were handpicked by Jesus, right? They were authorized by Jesus. They were appointed and anointed and sent by Jesus. And they didn't get the boy set free. Did that mean it wasn't God's will for the boy to be free? No. Because as soon as, as Jesus came, he ministered to him and the boy was set free. Somebody failing to get healed doesn't prove that that's God's will. Right? When people minister to somebody and they didn't get results, that doesn't mean that there's no healing. That doesn't mean that there's no deliverance. It means somebody failed to receive. And let's don't blame our failure to receive on God's will. Right? So uh, picking up at that point, after this, the boy has been set free. In verse 28, Mark 9, 28, are you there? Mark 9:28. Let me pray over you a little bit further before we read this. Father, let your word come strong into the hearts of your people today. Grant us all eyes to see and ears to hear. Let there come revelation and truth, freedom. And we purpose not to be hearers only, but doers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Say it at least one time, I'm a doer, I'm a doer. of the word of God. Verse 28, this is right after the boy has been set free. The Bible said, uh, 
when he was coming to his house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? Why? Well, hold your place right there and turn back real quickly to Matthew 17, because it's the same account, same story, I should say, in Matthew. But he says some things that Mark didn't say. We want to put them together. Matthew, hold your place in Mark, please, but go to Matthew 17. Are you there? Verse 18, Matthew 17, 18. Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? In other words, why did you get him set free? And we went through all the motions and nothing happened. And Jesus said to them, here's the answer right here. Verse 20. He said to them what? Because of your unbelief. Now that's the answer. Right? That's it. Because of your unbelief. That's why they failed to get the boy set free. How many believe that's the reason for failures today? I mean, so many things that didn't happen that could have happened, that should have happened. It comes back to this. Because of unbelief. Is there any cure for unbelief? What is it? How does faith come? Comes by hearing. Can you hear too much good word? Now, can you have too much faith? No. Uh -uh. Thank God for the word that pushes out unbelief. He said, because of your unbelief. For verily I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, it don't take too much. You shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, it'll remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. The King James has that. I know some modern translations don't include that. Sometimes the devil try to tell people, well, that's your problem. You don't have enough faith. You need to ask him, how much does it take? Real faith of God is potent stuff. I'm talking about a little bit goes a long way. Right? I mean, if you listen to the enemy, he try to tell you every day, oh, you don't have enough. You don't have enough. And you can read and pray and go to church and, and feed on the word. Do I have enough now? No, not yet. You had enough? Weeks can pass. Do I have enough yet? No, you don't have enough. Years can pass. Do I have enough? No. This is a big part of it. The word's got to be mixed with faith. For there to be a release of power. But then also your faith must be acted upon. You don't have to know all the Bible. You don't have to feel like you've got more faith than anybody around. Just act on a little bit of faith. And you'll see amazing results. He said if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed. You'd speak to that mountain and it'd be removed. How many believe that's he meant what he said and said what he meant? Powerful. Well go back to Matthew. Excuse me. Mark 9 now. Now, just in answering the question, they said, why couldn't we get this boy delivered? What's the answer? What? Because of your unbelief. That's the answer to the question. Now, let's keep reading here, though, in Mark 9. Verse 28, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? 
And he said to them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. I want to talk to you today about prayer and fasting. Is everybody excited? If it's in the Bible, it's got to be good. Right? The Lord didn't give us any unnecessary, superfluous stuff. For one thing, like I mentioned to you, some modern translations don't include that, what is it, 21st verse in Matthew 17. Some modern translations don't include the word and fasting in this verse, in Mark 9. But there are numerous other verses that bring this thought. Let me read some of them to you. In the Old Testament, the Bible said Daniel set his face to seek the Lord by prayer and supplication with fasting. In the New Testament, Luke said, the, you know, Anna was a widow, 84 years old. She never left the temple, served and worshiped God night and day with fastings and prayers. Everybody say fastings, fastings. and prayers. In the book of Acts, that's New Testament, isn't it? Acts, you see that Cornelius uh, in Acts 10 was a praying man. Bible said he prayed to God always. And then he told him while I was praying and fasting, he had this visitation of the Lord. In the 13th chapter of Acts, the elders of the church at that region, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said something to them about choosing Barnabas and Saul and sending them out for that apostolic work. And then the Bible said, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, I think we need some mind renewal in this area. Everybody say fasted and prayed. Can you do that in five minutes? Huh? Well, it must have been some time that passed, right? They had to have at least skipped one meal, right? That takes more than 10 minutes, right? Or 30 minutes. You can't say, boy, I fasted for an hour. (laughs) Right? That ain't much fasting, is it? And uh, in the 14th chapter of Acts, it says again, they ordained them elders in every church and they prayed with fasting. Everybody say that phrase out loud again. Prayed with fasting. Fasting. Now fasting means literally what you think it means. It means abstaining particularly from food. Abstaining from food. But how many know it could include bigger areas than that? You can fast Things other than food. Right? Now, um, in talking about fasting, let's define a little bit what it is and why you do it. Because people have gotten off on numerous of these places. For one, sometimes people will take that phrase, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. And they conclude that you pray the enemy away or you fast the enemy away or they conclude that praying gives you authority or fasting gives you authority or power over the enemy this is not correct did you hear me does praying give you more authority over the enemy why would it is our authority not in the name of Jesus 
Does our praying make that name any greater? No. Our power is in the Holy Spirit. We don't make him greater by fasting. Right? The fasting doesn't give us authority. The fasting doesn't give us power over the enemy. But the fasting is an important tool. Fasting affects you. Right? And we are a big factor in this thing. Now, uh, we said prayer is communion with God, fellowship with God. Fasting is abstaining abstinence from things, get this now, in order to fellowship with God. It's not just fasting for the sake of fasting. But it's fasting and prayer. You see how many times we read that together? Fasting and prayer. I've known of situations where people went on 14-day fasts. And people went on 40-day fasts. I know some people who broke their health down on 40-day fasts. You know, that kind of fast is rare in the Word. A 40-day fast. Very rare. You got to remember that this whole book covers centuries. And you got to remember all the different lives that are represented here and the circumstances. Moses was up on the mount with God for 40 days, didn't eat and drink, but he was caught up in the glory. Right? And he was fellowshipping with God. He wasn't up there just seeing how long he could fast. Right? He wasn't just fasting to be fasting. It was fasting and prayer. He was communing with God. Elijah, the Bible said, went 40 days in the strength of some supernatural food that the angel prepared for him. Right? I reckon that'd go a lot further than your average beans and bread. Right? But then also Jesus, when he was in the wilderness and he was tempted, he was not just out there proving how long he could fast. He was communing with God, close with the Father, in order to overcome every temptation. Right? So it's not just fasting to prove something. It's not just fasting to break your flesh. It's abstinence from one thing so that you can do something else more fully. You just fast one meal. It gives you the time that you would use to prepare the meal, eat the meal, clean up after the meal, or go out somewhere and find something and eat and get back. Use that time to get quiet with God. Not one amen. (laughs) Y'all are listening, right? Y'all are paying attention. That's it. You're focused. If this is a foreign concept, it should change, right? You shouldn't break yourself down doing something that the Lord didn't tell you to do. Trying to prove to somebody how spiritual you are. That's how you get in trouble. I said, that's how you get in trouble. But it should be just a part of our regular lifestyle that we use this little two-letter word on our flesh. N-O. No. Right? Your flesh is all primed to do something. And you go, no, not today. No, no, you're not going to do that. 
You're not going to rush out there and do this and spend that time. You're going to stay right here and just sit in your chair and be quiet and wait on the Lord instead of eating that meal. Will that affect you? Will that give you more authority? No. The authority in Jesus' name is the same. Did you hear me? Does that make the Holy Ghost more powerful? No, no. But does it affect you? It does. And could it affect your ability to yield to him and work with him? Yes, yes. Now, Jesus said this kind, this kind of thing doesn't happen except though he said the problem was unbelief. But he said it doesn't happen except through prayer and fasting. You'll get some results. Exercising faith to a certain degree, living a relatively carnal life. But there's some things you won't see. And there's some things you won't get till you get more serious. Till you get willing to put your flesh under. Till you get willing to crucify your flesh. Amen? So that your flesh is not running you. Your flesh is not ruling you. The more you yield to the flesh, the more aware of the flesh you are. The more sensitive to the flesh you are. Right? How many haven't eaten too much? Maybe it's Thanksgiving or something. And I mean you just about hurt yourself in there at the table. Are you aware of your flesh afterwards? Oh man, you are intensely aware. Right? All you want to do is lay there and grunt or take a nap, or, right? You're very aware of the flesh. Yielding to the desires of the flesh makes you more aware of the flesh. But putting the flesh under, abstaining from fulfilling desires of the flesh and yielding to the spirit makes you more aware of the spirit. Makes you more aware of the Holy Spirit. Can you see that? Now, um, let me just read a couple of these statements to you. Giving ourselves to prayer and fasting instead of play and fleshiness causes us to be more aware of God. Denying the flesh rather than denying the spirit. The Bible said in Ephesians 4, it says that having lost all sensitivity, they gave themselves over to sensuality with a continual lust for more. Philippians 3 said their God is their stomach. How many want to make up your mind your stomach is not your God? When your stomach says jump, you don't jump. Right? I'm going to go over that again real slow. Is your stomach your God? See, if your flesh ruled, then you you say a lot of things like this. Well, I've got to eat. I've got to get my sleep. I've got to get my rest. I've got to do this. That's another way of saying my flesh is ruling me. My stomach is my God. I do what it tells me, when it tells me, and I don't wait. I have to eat at a certain time, 
And I've got to have my meal. <laughs> Do you now? What is that saying? The flesh says jump. You say how high? Hmm? Got to get my food. Just watch it and monitor it and you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, people get on a mission, buddy. Don't they go, I ain't got time to fool with this. I got to eat. I got to do this. It's bedtime. I can't stay up. I got to eat. Well, your flesh ruled, whether you want to admit it or not. All of us got flesh. And that flesh is talking to you all day and all night. And if you yield to it, you'll be carnal and you'll be dull. And this kind of thing you won't see. You won't operate in the full measure of authority and power that's yours in Christ. The flesh will hold you out. But when you control your flesh, you say, look, flesh, you eat when I say you eat. You don't when I say you don't. You sleep when I say you sleep. You get up when I say you get up. This stuff about people. I know Phyllis had a lady working for her one time when she was working in secular business. And uh, she told her, you know, she wanted her to cast the spirit of slumber out of her. Because she just could not get up in the morning. I mean, she's supposed to be there at 8, get there at 11.30. I wanted prayer because she needed deliverance. I've had people tell me, you know, I just can't get to church. You know, especially on Sunday morning. I just, I want to, but I just, it's so hard and I just don't wake up. And they want me to pray that they'd be delivered and helped. I said, no, no, let's try this first. I said, Saturday night. Go to bed at 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. And I said, what? I said, so you've been sitting up all night watching TV, doing dumb stuff. Let's go to bed at 8 o'clock p.m. And see if you can make it up in time to be here by 10. <laughs> Let's do that first. See, it's a matter of priorities. How many understand so many folks are so fleshy? Oh, it's just pitiful how fleshy they are. I mean, they want their way, and they don't mean maybe. And they want it now, and if they don't get their way, they're going to squeal and cry and hoop and holler and make a big fuss louder than any of these little infants that you heard up here today. <laughs> when Phyllis was working in the admissions office at Raymond, had a couple, nice-looking couple, there in Ramo, their first year, just a few months, come to resign. We're leaving. Why? Well, they have to interview with an instructor before they go. Why are you leaving? You, just a few weeks ago, a month ago, you said the Lord led you to come here. You left everything. You've sacrificed all kind of stuff. You're here. Now you're here. Why are you leaving? Bottom line was they had gotten a couple of tickets. Parking tickets. Because they parked in the wrong place. They parked in the staff's place. Why? Because they got there late all the time. And the biggest thing she was upset about is they'd get there late, they'd have to park out in the gravel lot. And she'd have to walk through the gravel in her shoes. That was the biggest thing that was bothering her. Scuffed the shoes. Scuffed her heels when she walked in the gravel. So they're quitting. What do you say to people like that? <laughs> Brother, sister, you ain't ministry material. If you can't wade through a little gravel to get to school, 
I talk to people that quit. Why? Because they're eating too much macaroni and cheese and Raymond noodles. He said, man, at home, mama fixed me a steak, you know, a couple of times a week, every week, you know. And I said, well, bless your heart. He said, I'm going home. Now, what is that? Yeah, whiny baby. (laughs) That's flesh, right? That's what whiny baby is. Flesh. Flesh. Will that hold you out from seeing some of the greater miracles? This kind, you're only going to see by prayer and fasting. Don't, Don't let that fasting word scare you or throw you. It just means Putting your flesh under, instead of doing other stuff that your flesh might want to do, you use that time and effort to press into God and commune with Him. Did you get that? Now, um, in this same chapter, there's a lot more revelation on this same subject. Skip down just a little bit in Mark 9. You still there? In Mark 9, to verse uh, 33. See, the verse 29 is when he told them it comes by prayer and fasting. And I mean, it's just a couple of verses later. Verse 33, he came to Capernaum. And being in the house, Jesus asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? They all come in, you know, and they're sitting down in the house. And I guess they're all, you know, laying across the sofa and the chairs and everything. Jesus walked in the room. He said, What were you guys fussing about? And arguing about back there on the road. And they held their peace. (laughs) Nobody said anything. For, because, by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. What does that mean? They're walking down the road and one of them said, well, uh, who you think is going to be in charge of this thing later on. <laughs> you know, because Jesus talked about the kingdom a lot. And they said, who do you think is going to be in charge? And somebody said, well, I think I ought to be. And they said, what? What do you mean you ought to be? All these guys know I ought to be. Somebody popped up and said, you? And that got into real argument about who should be the greatest. These fellows needed to fast. <laughs> I'm serious. Somebody said, what's one got to do with the other? Everything. I said everything. In the 35th Psalm, I believe it is. Let me just, you don't have to turn there, but let me read it to you. Psalm 35, 13. Psalm 35, 13. The psalmist said, I humbled my soul with fasting. And my prayer returned to my bosom. I humbled my soul with fasting. Fasting is a good way of you humbling yourself. And all of us got to deal with this. You need to be honest with yourself about when you get to feeling a little too big for your britches. When you get to feeling like you, you're pretty much something else. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm the man. (laughs) I did it. It's time for you to miss some meals. 
<laughs> it's time for you to go put your nose in the carpet. Did you hear me? And lay there for four or five hours and worship God and say, I know that you give me my breath. I know every heartbeat comes from you. I know I couldn't find the door if it wasn't for you. I know everything that happens good in my life is by your grace and by your goodness. And you worship him and you put your flesh under. Somebody says, is that a big deal? It's a huge deal. Because the Bible said God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. It's only by the grace of God we're going to see miracles. We're going to see mighty things happen. Great faith exploits. And when you, you know, people arguing about, well, I ought to be in charge. Well, you know I'm more qualified than you. Who's going to run this thing? Who's going to be the greatest? Well, I think I ought to be team captain. (laughs) That alone would disqualify you. Did you hear me? That kind of feeling and sentiment alone would show that you're not ready. Well, see, it's not just on things like that. The Lord is that way about everything. And somebody that's going to be used in mighty miracles, signs, and wonders. Can you be somebody that's got the big head? Right? And if you get puffed up real big because of some smaller thing that God did for you, you just showed you're not qualified to handle something bigger. This kind. A case where a boy's been bound all his life. A family been ruined. I mean, everybody knows about it. It shook a whole community. Those kind of healings, those kind of miracles won't come through big-headed people. Did you hear me? Proud, haughty people. It won't come that way. It won't come through fleshy, carnal, glory-seeking people. It'll come through people who know how to put their flesh under. Who know how to say no. Uh-uh. Push the plate back sometimes. Skip a meal. Go in there and get quiet. And the more, I'm telling you, the more God uses you, the more you must do this. I used to be in conferences where because of what I did, sometimes you'd have a thousand people in a few days come by and brag on you. That's a lot. Oh, Brother Keith. Oh, that was wonderful. Oh, Brother Keith, my life was changed. Oh, the anointing. Oh, the, you hear that. All day long. After a while. You just want to get away. And plug your ears. And put your nose in the carpet and say. Lord I know. You could have used anybody you want to. I know. That without the grace. Without the anointing. We can't do a thing. We don't know anything. We don't have anything. And because I'm jealous for the anointing. I don't want people saying too much about me. It's not trying to be humble. It's because I want to keep moving in power. I don't want it messed with. Did you hear me? You must be the same way. And fasting helps you do that. It humbles your soul, like the psalmist said. And these guys, puffed up in their minds, arguing about, certainly you'd understand more even fully why Jesus said, prayer and fasting, boys. Y'all need to quit this stuff. Go shut up for a while. Miss some meals. You got to get your mind in a different place. Get your heart in a different place. Then you'll be more fully used of God. Then you'll see this kind of miracle and deliverance. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise God. Won't you stand up on your feet?
Oh, praise the Lord. Bless His holy name. Pray this out loud after me, please. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness and faithfulness. Thank you for the privilege of prayer, communion with you. I ask you, teach me how to apply this truth in my life. Show me what is proper fasting, how to do it, when and where, for the right reasons. Show me how to humble my soul, how to put my flesh under, how to draw near to you, that you may draw near to me, how to be sensitive to your spirit. How to be truly spiritual, like my master, and not carnal and fleshy, and bring us in to walking and operating in the full authority you've given us, in the full power and anointing you've given us, and grant us that we may see this kind of miracle and deliverance in Jesus name glory to God glory to God this ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church if you would like to help send this word to others at no charge you can become a word sender today for more information visit our website at morelife.org